Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. So before we get into this week's episode, I have a few things to say. I've been striving from the conception of this podcast to seek out diverse voices. White women make up the majority of our field in arts education and so far the majority of my guests. I'm white. I've looked for people of color and men to highlight, and you guys are not easy to find. Thank you to those of you who have shared recommendations and contact info with me. Keep it coming. I'll also keep doing the work of looking and reaching out to art educators of color who also make their own artwork. I really want this to be a place to not only highlight us as professional artists dedicated to both our studio and our teaching practices, a place to share encouragement and advice, to create camaraderie and community, but also a place to raise up voices that are too often pushed down. I want to amplify voices of color. So I'm putting that out there as a goal. I'm saying loudly that black lives matter. Black teachers matter. Black artists matter. Black art matters. Black students matter. I've started pulling together some resources for teaching art from an anti-racist platform on a Padlet which is linked in my Instagram bio at Teaching Artist Podcast. Right now, it's just lists of links, books, artists, and resources. I'll keep adding to it, and I do plan to also share some of my own lessons, hopefully in the next month or two as my school year is just wrapping up now. I do also want to mention that as a white woman, my lived experience doesn't include racial discrimination. I do have moments of feeling other, that brought me to my knees. I do not live with real fear for myself. I do hear my husband's fears and stories of prejudice. I do worry sometimes that my daughter's Hispanic name will mean she's perceived as less than before her teachers, potential employers, or anybody even meets her. I share this just to give a little context. Now, I debated releasing this episode or just skipping a week. I'm not done editing the next one. I'm kind of rushing to get things done each week. The next one is with the amazing Liz Brent. But this one's ready, and I keep hearing that white people who want to be allies need to speak up and stop being scared of getting it wrong. So here we are, open to criticism and continuing to learn. In this episode with Aaron Boswell, which was recorded back in April, we talk about his studio practice, how he came to teaching at the elementary level, and a bit about race and representation. In listening to our conversation, I noticed that we spent time talking about the formal aspects and a bit of the content and backstory that inspire us in Kahinde Wiley's work. We didn't really get into the discussions we have with kids around his work. How do we as white teachers present the work and facilitate discussion? How do kids respond? 
I'd also like to hear more about sharing other Black artists beyond the super well-known. So I'm adding to the questions that I'll be asking guests moving forward. I do have several episodes already recorded, but as I record more, I'll be digging into how we can teach from an anti-racist platform. Now, I'd also like to take a few minutes to share my responses to those questions I was curious about. I'm still reading and educating myself, but as I plan my curricula each summer, I make a chart for myself to explicitly track the artists I plan to share. It feels a little uncomfortable noting their race, gender, sexuality, disability status, all the things that I've been taught to ignore, to be colorblind. That colorblindness is part of the problem. I can't ignore systemic racism and expect it to just go away. I can't ignore the people behind the art and expect students to engage with it. Now, I should note that I see each grade for 10 short weeks. That's 10 50-minute lessons, 30 minutes for kinder. So I focus on sharing only contemporary artists, leaving the old masters to the classroom teachers. As I plan, I usually start with the standards and how to cover a variety of art techniques and media in my 10 weeks. I've also shifted towards TAB using a very brief four to five lesson boot camp. Although going forward with distance learning, I've shifted back to more project-based teaching, so who knows what's coming. As I look for artists to share when introducing painting or printmaking or sculpture, my goal with tracking them is that I don't end up with students only seeing white male artists. Every grade level needs to see themselves represented in the artists I share. They should be able to picture themselves in the canon of art history. I also work to show a range of artists so that students see people with different stories and backgrounds to their own. They should be looking into both windows and mirrors. Because the artists are living, I can often find video interviews with them. For each artist, I try to find and or compile a two to three minute video of them talking or working. I want my students to see the artist and hear their voice and see their process. Not only does this give them a little reprieve from hearing my voice, maybe you guys need that right now too, and give them a different perspective. It is one way to bring those artists into the classroom with their own voices, not through the lens of my white perspective. I then ask students what they noticed in the video, what stood out to them. We talk a little bit, then I share one to two images of artwork and a very brief background, like where they're from, where they live now, showing them on a map, and any notable shows or projects. Then I usually use VTS, Visual Thinking Strategies, to facilitate discussion around the artwork. If you haven't heard of VTS, it's worth looking into. It's a method that uses three questions to facilitate discussion around an image or video. Those questions are, What's going on here? What makes you say that? And what else can we find? So the facilitator asks these questions one by one and paraphrases each student's observation while pointing out in the image what they're seeing and also making connections between the observations of students. This method can create rich, meaningful discussion, but it takes time. If I'm short on time, which really, when am I not? I steer the discussion a bit more towards whatever standards or goals I have for the lesson. So how is this artist using line? What do you think they're trying to say with color? How does your eye move around this piece? 
what did the artist do to make that happen? So you can see that my discussion is mostly focused on the aesthetics. We do sometimes talk about the issues behind the work, the content behind the work, but I think that's a place where I need to improve. I know I could more directly address racism in my teaching. I think I hesitate for a few reasons. One is just time. My contact hours are so minimal. I prioritize studio time with only five to 10 minutes of discussion and demo five to 10 minutes to talk and show them what to do, how to do it. That is not enough time to even begin unpacking these issues. I have read Skin Again by Bell Hooks as part of a lesson intro and very briefly led a discussion about what it means to students. I have talked with students about how Kahinde Wiley was fired up by not seeing himself represented in museums. I have mentioned how Firale Baez incorporates history and identity in her work, how Justin Favela was inspired by Frida Kahlo as well as his parents' backgrounds, how Tyree Guyton both comments on and lifts up his community through art, how Kesha Bruce mines personal stories and family history, and many more. But I can do better. I think maybe, as we now all have some experience with online learning, a flipped classroom model might allow for more reflection time outside of class while still giving as much studio time as possible. How do we fit in necessary discussions and very much needed art-making time? I don't know. How do you guys do it? How do you attempt it? My other semi-self-imposed barrier is that I always have the classroom teacher in the room with me, and I'm nervous to bring up any topics that might give them backlash from parents. As a teaching artist, I don't have a lot of parent contact, so it all falls on classroom teachers. I know I need to push through that nervousness and allow parents to sit with discomfort and maybe find some time to talk with teachers before introducing potentially touchy subjects. But definitely keep talking with kids about these things and work on doing it even more directly than I have been. I'm trying. Okay, more than enough about me. Let's hear from Aaron. Aaron Boswell is from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He earned his BFA in painting and drawing from the University of Iowa and his MFA from Washington University in St. Louis. He currently lives in Philadelphia, where he teaches elementary art at Inquiry Charter School. Hello. So I am here with Aaron Boswell, who I actually went to grad school with. So, so good to talk with you again and hear a little bit about how you're doing. I like to start with just kind of asking about your background. So could you share sort of how you became an artist and then also how you became a teacher? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Yeah. Uh, as far as like my background, I guess I was um, always a kid who really loved art making and just gravitated towards it very naturally. And then it was just a matter of continuing to pursue that through high school. And then my high school art teacher was just like, you know, you could probably get a scholarship <laughs> and go to undergrad for your art. And so I just, it just seemed like a logical mm -hmm. progression. And I actually started in art education. Oh. This was in growing up in Iowa. So I started in art ed and actually about halfway through the program decided to switch to the BFA. And like, 
honestly, with this distance, it's kind of hard for me to remember what that motivation was about. <laughs> Part of it was to like focus more on my artwork. I guess in undergrad, I had, I had like no concerns about graduating on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so first I went through kind of advanced classes in ceramics and at the same time, photography but all the while was kind of like most interested in drawing and painting so (laughs) (laughs) so, yeah so I think it was kind of like after this time technically being an art ed major I was like okay time to go back to painting (laughs) (laughs) then I finished with the BFA and went on to grad school at that point for I guess painting and drawing technically but definitely was experimenting with other things at that time too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's basically where I was at that point. And I definitely was like TAing in graduate Mm -hmm. school and really enjoyed that. And I guess like, Part of my motivation for going to grad school in the first place was the idea that I could teach at a university. And to me, that seemed like a great career and a great way to still have the support and be engaged deeply in art making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then it was kind of like at the end of grad school, I just like in finishing a couple years after uh, seeing peers really it felt like we're really in like the rat race of trying to find what ultimately were adjunct teaching jobs mm-hmm. and then often in a sort of relationship obviously this is something that's really thought about and written about right now about the plight of the adjunct instructor in the united uh, states yeah <laughs> <laughs> <And the laughs> underpayment and a lack of benefits and things like that and lack of like job mm-hmm. security so I did teach one semester of photography, actually film photography, mostly after graduate school in a sort of like temporary, who knows what will happen kind of situation uh-huh. back in Iowa, actually. And how was that? Like, did you decide to not continue or was it kind of like the position isn't there? I think it was mostly sort of specifics in my own life and choosing to move to New York. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, there was never any discussion about like what yeah <laughs> what's gonna happen next yeah or you know the sort of like mystery like yeah here you go <laughs> the big question mark yeah but I enjoyed it it was interesting because it's just funny to be in like a college like a sort of liberal arts college art teaching position because it's kind of interesting to have at least I think there's a lot of like broader age range and maybe someplace that's more liberal arts or mm-hmm. someplace maybe more rural or that has like yeah. a little more of like a like a technical kind of vibe uh-huh. or like more practically rooted I guess or something like that but I just had like such an age range of students which was kind of cool mm. and I like really enjoyed the work I think at that time and that being that age I was really doubted by my younger students and I, they at least one person just expressed to me that they're like oh we have another adjunct professor like why don't we get to work with the full-time art faculty oh, that's so tough uh, which is kind of discouraging but I sort of understand where they're coming from. yeah <laughs> 
So looking back on it, I'm like, how did I pull off that teaching? Like Uh having been in uh, elementary school now for five years, I'm like, how did I pull off that semester with so little guidance and working with adults? Yeah. And teaching a subject that wasn't like your, your sort of main focus. Exactly. It was something that in undergrad Mm -hmm. I'd really done a lot of, but I hadn't touched since. Uh, I so relate to that idea of going into the MFA thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to teach at the university level and it'll be so wonderful. I'll focus on my art and then also have like a career teaching (laughs) and then just being kind of hit with the reality of that. Right. Yeah. Right. And you look at your professors and you're, I think you, you, as an undergrad, you definitely like look up to them and you kind of aspire to be like them. But Mm -hmm. also like, I just thought their lifestyle seemed so awesome. Yeah. It's like, you just, (laughs) yeah, you just make art and teach art and have so much time and like access to the facilities. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And like Uh, the professor studios and all stuff. Yeah. Uh, I do remember in like being being a TA and some of the professors I TA'd for would actually like talk about the reality of it and be like, this is, you know, this is not easy. (laughs) This is like, I'm juggling multiple jobs because I can't afford to live. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a little reality check. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think the TAs I had in undergrad, they seemed like older students, like mature adult, but students. I was like, oh yeah, that's just the student life, you know? Mm -hmm. But then that's some for some reason there was like I couldn't connect to how adjuncts were not students they were <laughs> they were like full adults yeah. in their career and also sort of wasn't weren't living too different of an experience than the like TAs were <laughs> right <laughs> oh and then how did you move like how did it happen that you moved from teaching there you went to New York and then you started teaching at the elementary level what sort of happened in between there Moving to New York was kind of just like, maybe not like a super practical decision, which is more like one of those life dream kind of decisions. And Mm -hmm. so at first I was really scrambling to find work, but was also able to fall back Mm -hmm. on like connections from St. Louis, people that were in the gallery world of New York at that point and was able to get an art handler job yeah it was kind of like you know it was like on the exhibition cycle so it was kind of inconsistent but it was a good chunk of mm-hmm. money when you know I was working and then I was also you know I had other day jobs and worked at yeah. Trader Joe's and whatever <laughs> yeah and then <laughs> yeah the artist lifestyle <laughs> exactly uh, but I was able to support like just barely support renting a studio so I was able to keep up my work mm-hmm. nice and then again like moving to Philadelphia was a little bit of a random decision made with my partner and neither of us had anything lined up and just sort of I don't know I like was sitting having first moved here and you know like sitting at my kitchen table looking through the job postings online and it just seemed like like finding work as an art handler or in a gallery museum was seeming for one kind of like harder to attain than in New York maybe I mean obviously Mm -hmm. being a smaller city and a smaller art scene but then also was like feeling less and less appealing and just like imagining myself Mm -hmm. like back in like art handling I was just like I don't know if I really want to do that like it's it's I mean it's you do what you can to like support your practice but 
I was starting to feel like that wasn't enough, that wasn't fulfilling. And I sort of just like feeling this gravitation back towards teaching. And so it was kind of like looking at the ads for teaching jobs and saw the one posted, which is the job I'm at now, which was actually someone's like filling in for someone's maternity leave as a long-term substitute. And if like in hindsight, I'm like, how did I get hired? Like, how did I trick them into (laughs) thinking that I could teach children? But I do think the the MFA and like some of my experience helped. And I I worked at uh, daycares when I was in in college. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how it kind of came back to it. And just like seeking something that was like a more fulfilling day job, like a day job that I felt like had, had, had meaning. It's like more meaningful than like moving art around. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel like it's done that for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Big time. I, yeah. yeah, I feel like there's been a lot of times that I've just felt so grateful that I feel like I stumbled mm-hmm. into my passion, like another passion in my life, like something oh. that was kind of always missing, which is like a really... Mm-hmm powerful feeling to have yeah Yeah, that's awesome yeah right totally and I just felt like I just worked so many gig jobs and Mm -hmm. even like fast food and everything and it's just like it's just so nice to (laughs) feel like the work that I do from nine to five or eight to four is just worthwhile yeah and it's hopefully having a positive impact on the world a little bit I mean, that's just like, you know, if you can feel that way, I just think that's a gift. Yeah, completely. And do you feel like your like art making influences your teaching at all? The first thought that comes to mind is kind of like a play of like weaknesses and strengths, because I feel like I, Mm. since I love this sort of activity of painting and drawing, I just, I think like, I catch myself sort of defaulting to designing lessons based around that and then kind of have to check myself a little bit Uh and go, hey, when's the last time students were engaging in like sculpture? And and then I'm like, wait, how do you get students to make sculpture? Like what, what are, it's like, to me, it's like (laughs) totally outside of, it feels like in some ways totally outside of like my wheelhouse. Right. (laughs) So I don't know. It's a, that's a funny impact on teaching. Yeah. And do you feel like, is it harder for you once you actually are like, okay, I'm putting, I'm making this sculpture lesson. I'm going to teach it. Is it harder for you to teach those lessons? Yeah, I think it is sometimes because I feel like when I'm working with students in like a painting and drawing kind of capacity, then it's just like so natural. The like, mm-hmm. I can just see what they're doing so much faster and I can see the potential and I can see mistakes, if you can call it that. I mean, it's so hard to say sometimes with children. Yeah. Or like more yeah. and more, I guess that I would put it like ways to improve to like drawing, for instance, right. or like technique or whatever it all just like comes to me so much quicker and I think Mm. sometimes with like sculpture for instance I'm just like "Eh, looking good (laughs) 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 I don't know I just have to like work more to give any kind of feedback Mm -hmm. I think that's helpful (laughs) yeah yeah it's so interesting because I I mean I'm also my personal work is 2D. And when I've branched into sculpture, I feel like it's never very successful. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I've found though, that the way I teach 
sculpture or things that I'm not as good at personally, I feel like the kids understand it better. And that to me, I'm like, I think that might be that I can more easily break it down because I don't fully understand it. So it's like I like with printmaking, I often catch myself going way too fast for them and like skipping things that I didn't even realize I was skipping just because I know mm, it so, so well. Like a, right. Like a, like a curse of knowledge kind of thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's that's been a, a kind of a cool thing to notice with teaching kids just how much you need to break it down and how it actually helps to not be as much of an expert in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. And uh, yeah, that might be, I might be thinking about that more in those, that framework now. <laughs> yeah. Think of your, like the weakness there as a strength. Yeah, for sure. And do you feel like teaching has that changed your art making or sort of informed your art making at all? Yeah. I mean, one thing, one thing that's so nice about working with children, I mean, this is probably a little bit of a cliche by now, but (laughs) they're (laughs) just so like automatic with their Mm -hmm. work. They're so like, I mean, you know, obviously this isn't universal and there are definitely kids in pre-K through fifth, especially older ones who are, don't feel that way. They don't feel just like free to create and spontaneous and can just hit the ground running. But for a lot of kids that age, it really is. And it's really kind of amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. They work with like a, like a freedom and like an automaticity that, you know, I think adults always kind of talk about being hard to access. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that there, I do have these moments in the studio where maybe like, I mean, I, I paint pretty like very representationally, but yeah. I feel like I have these moments where, where I kind of like let myself go in, into like abstraction in a little different, like freer way. Yeah. And I do sort of wonder if that's partially influenced by like working with children day to day. Yeah. Which is pretty cool and fun. Yeah. That's great. I think another way that like that work uh, influences my studio practice, because this is the one, this is like the direction of that flow that for me is like, hmm, how is it? Like, it's it's not easy to kind of pick apart. But Mm -hmm. I do think like part of what happens is in like the classroom, I'm introducing so many different media and I'm introducing like trying to introduce like a broad range of artists just because of elementary so much about that exposure yeah that a lot of times my work is ending up being like a decent amount of like research into things that I didn't know previously or like going deeper with artists or their biographies and I think a lot Mm -hmm. of that kind of flows into my studio practice too and I've like definitely discovered a lot of artists because I'm trying to like find something for a lesson. Right. Yeah. I love that part too. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I do think there's something else that happens just in like being able to spend so much time around like a bunch of children engaging in art because you realize how much they see everything with like new eyes that they're Mm -hmm. seeing so much of the stuff for the first time and I guess sort of relates to what you were saying about like you know something so well that you might like skip steps in instruction (laughs) yeah it's like they see so many things fresh and I do think think that maybe hopefully that kind of 
rubs off on me and I'm able to like, I mean, I do think that's something that like a lot of artists have in common is like this awe at the world or like Mm -hmm. these things that a lot of people maybe don't notice or that seem really common that artists will be like, oh, wow, interesting. (laughs) And that is like sort of this like childlike vision in a way. Yeah. I mean, that's totally, that's what artists are like the ultimate observers, Right. right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the least, I definitely really enjoy, like, seeing the world through their eyes for a minute. Just like the, the, oh, wow, that, you know, they'll express it. Like, something that most people would be like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But they're, like, so in it and, like, you know, so amazed by these things. Yeah, it is really cool when... I mean, it's happened to me when it's like showing them an artwork that they really respond to or even like a demo, like a technique that they're just like, oh, my God, that that's how did that happen? Yeah. The little the littlest kids with something as simple as like wax resist. It's like, oh, wow, look at it's magic. (laughs) Yes, totally. Yeah, and it almost kind of like re-enlivens it for you, mm-hmm. I think. But I think I've definitely, I've definitely like taken little things that I'm doing as parts of lessons back to the studio a little bit. And I think more, more often they're like experiments and like, you know, something maybe that I do and then, you know, it ends up being put aside. It doesn't necessarily become part of the work, but sometimes I'm just so, I so love what I'm teaching for a lesson, Mm -hmm. uh, like a technique or something, or like these material reactions, kind of like you're talking about wax resist Mm -hmm. and then want to like go experiment with it on my own time. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. And it's kind of cool just to be open to that. Yeah. And that's like part of the, like the research part of being an artist, Mm, even if it doesn't end up in your final work. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And getting a little bit more into teaching, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about teaching right now and what that kind of looks like. Would you want to talk about like how your teaching has shifted during this pandemic and kind of what's what's happening there. Yeah, so the the small network that I work for doesn't have a curriculum for enrichment. And so it's kind of a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but usually I consider it a blessing to just be free to be fairly creative with that. I think at times, you know, I'm realizing with minimal formal training, as far as like art education, that I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, I wish I could, you know, like plan a scope and sequence better, or, (laughs) you know, make sure I'm hitting the standards a little bit more thoroughly. Mm. But at the same time, there's just like so much room for creativity and for, well, like flipping the script a little bit from what I saw as a child with like very few artists of color and Mm -hmm. much lower representation of women to like really change that and try to like focus heavily on people of color yeah, and artists that are queer or uh, female. So Mm -hmm. I think that's part of having that freedom to design your curriculum. Yeah. But in terms of like this home learning now, the like lack of a curriculum, I guess is sort of like exacerbated the side of it where there's lack, there's like a lack of structure. Mm-hmm. And I guess for everybody, it's been like developing day by day, week by week and changing. Yeah. So we started and I was just sort of in like the first weeks at home trying to design, uh, like started 
doing YouTube videos for our school YouTube channel that were about art and kind of art art challenges or projects. Then also started running like a, a website right away that was like just like a free website that would highlight, showcase what kids were working on at home mm-hmm. as like a sort of motivation to like highlight their work I figured would make it that much more enticing. But it's just it was a pretty cool collection pretty early on of like all the things that kids were doing at home and they were like a, a lot of parents took photos of the kids in it and so there was just like this yeah. like level of intimacy and like Mm. you know the kids at home working with their siblings like in their home space and like creating art and that that continuity from the classroom was really heartwarming and nice to see Mm -hmm. but then in the last couple weeks we've switched to a new like online platform so that's been a pretty big change Mm -hmm. but one thing that's nice about it is now while we can't require work because uh, of like issues of inequity access to Wi-Fi and technology. Mm-hmm. The students take what's put onto this platform like much more seriously, I think, as like an activity for school that needs to be done. So that's right. that's been nice. And also there's like an interface for feedback on each submission now. And so that's been really good to super time consuming. <laughs> but yeah. it's been nice oh. to like be able to give that individualized feedback again and sometimes like have mm-hmm. revision taking place and things like that even from a distance you know right. it's, i feel like it's about as good as it can get <laughs> yeah and how many students do you have are you teaching k through five or yeah we actually have one yeah what grades and yeah we have one pre-k yeah. four or five year old classroom okay and it goes up to fifth so our school has 250 students okay yeah so that's a lot of individual feedback to give <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm just like combing through like all the things that were submitted for like my all my art classes and it can be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking earlier about how how tricky it is trying to sort of create lessons without that feedback and just yeah, figuring out the pace of your lesson and you know, which things are making sense to students and which things are not? Are you going too fast, too slow? Like just how tricky it is to the things that you kind of naturally do in person, you can't do this way. For sure. So yeah, how has that been? Yeah. And I think it's actually highlighted that like the the being at the distance Mm -hmm. has so underscored how art making in a classroom at any level is just so much about the like moment to moment what's happening on the page or in front of the student and the feedback the encouragement the Mm -hmm. hey what if you try like all that stuff there's so much joy in art making at an elementary level that it's just like Mm -hmm. to not have that real time in the classroom where everybody's there is just really hard and And just a real loss in terms of like that full education that they would be receiving. Yeah, it's so tough. Yeah. Are there are there any resources that have been really helpful to you in all of this? You know, I I'm just like, actually, it's been funny. But while I have this love hate relationship with certain like technology and like video (laughs) editing, and I've been like, so frustrated at moments over the last few weeks. Yeah, I'm still like, 
really grateful that there's YouTube, that there's mm-hmm. iMovie on my phone <laughs> mm-hmm. and my computer, and that there's free websites that anyone can have access to and like build a website is pretty great. And so I'm, I'm just thankful for those things that can still kind of like keep up some semblance of this sort of like interaction and education that was there before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, just like also, obviously, huge shout out to every parent who's still make somehow Uh. finding a way to like keep their student engaged and like a lot of this previously was just like occurring through parents cell phones and stuff you know Mm -hmm. like and keeping up engagement through that I mean it's just like so challenging and so obviously there's like so much hard work right there that's not being seen yeah and I know as I'm trying to design projects and lessons that I can share I'm also trying to think okay how can this be done sort of independently with very minimal materials without a lot of parent involvement just knowing that the as a parent myself the parents are like trying to work and juggle so much right now right so yeah definitely huge respect and gratitude towards parents that are still making sure their their kids are doing some art and getting to be creative and yes yes kind of yeah like I feel like they're kind of using like creativity is so important right now as a way to just kind of either get out of your head and just be like relax and have time to just make or as a way to kind of process some of what's going on. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've been really thinking of it that way too. And just like hoping that student, I mean, I think a lot of students are going to, as long as they have access to some kind of materials uh, or even like a drawing program on a tablet, are going to continue to do this work because that's who they are just like I think I was when I was that age and Mm -hmm. but I think there are others that that's less the case for and I just hope that for all of them it has like the same sort of like nurturing and and therapeutic qualities that art making Mm -hmm. does for me and I'm like that's just part like this hope this added benefit that it's like if students are continuing this work maybe it's like whether they realize it or not it's just like continuing to help keep them sane (laughs) and and like nurtured through this period yeah would you want to describe your own artwork and kind of what you've been working on Mm -hmm. so my work is predominantly in watercolor these days and kind of larger scale, a lot of like 22 mm. by 30. Ooh, and nice. it's uh, representational. Usually it's pretty realistic. Usually it's from photos that I've taken on my phone and a pretty like direct translation. And mm-hmm. I guess one interesting way that like my teaching work has influenced my studio practice is that kind of my general artistic practice part of it for like the last uh 
I don't know, probably more than 10 years has been just this like eye as like I think a photographer would like this eye for the world every day and like these Mm -hmm. normal moments when you like notice a certain thing and you're like, ah, and you want to take a photo of it. Yeah. So that is also that kind of takes place at work too sometimes through teaching. Like there's a project that I haven't actually realized yet, but I've been collecting photos for forever of things left in my classroom. So like... Uh breath or <laughs> you know like little animal figurines and like earrings and like all yeah. that stuff that turns up <laughs> i just kind of like yeah. want to do like an image of like all this stuff together ah oh, that'd be great but i think i think i started uh like i t- started taking these photos a couple years ago of, like when i would walk out of school at the end of the day and the sun is going down and just like the neighborhood with that mm. warm glowing light on it and this big, mm-hmm. vast, empty parking lot with like these tire marks on it. Uh-huh. And I think that started to sort of develop into a series now that I've been doing of a lot of like Philadelphia streets, but usually with like the absence of people. Whereas like when I was uh, younger, I think I was pretty heavily interested in like figurative painting. So now it's like Mm kind of rare when I do that. Yeah, just like these moments at night in the city, usually, usually at night when it's kind of starting to like empty out and there's like an empty street and like the glow of neon just like the abstraction that happens at night that's pretty much what I've been focused on for the last couple of years yeah ah I love those nighttime I feel like the the colors there are so incredible mm. and and kind of capturing that is not an easy thing mm. yeah like mm. the the colors definitely are really interesting. But yeah, I think like the last handful of months, I've really been realizing how much the night, like the evening and night, but maybe more so with like the like twilight, like really abstracts space in a big way. I've just been really enjoying trying to transfer that onto the page. And just like, like I was saying before, just like kind of letting myself go in the abstraction, which is really fun, kind of like balance or counterpoint to really laboring at (laughs) representing something accurately. Yeah. Uh, I know you weren't doing so much watercolor back in grad school. How was, how was that shift? When did that kind of shift happen? Um, Or were you doing a lot that just wasn't like part of your thesis? (laughs) Yeah. uh, I was, I was starting to, I guess, experiment with watercolor a little bit in graduate Mm -hmm. school and mostly just like, well, it's funny because I was like doing it on gessoed paper. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't Mm. like really saturate and the color wouldn't saturate (laughs) in the paper. And then I even had a professor like, why don't you do this on untreated paper? Then it could really saturate and you could have like so much more bandwidth, I guess, of, of what the paint can do in the, on the paper. And I was kind of like, hmm, I don't know why I would do that. Because <laughs> I, I don't know, there's something about it that was just like so thin and like you had one shot. Hmm. Like I do feel like watercolor you can work a little bit despite its like reputation as you only have one chance to get it right. Uh, like I do think you can really layer up watercolor and things like that. So yeah, there was something though that was fun about just like having one shot uh-huh. and then <laughs> it's there and... I don't know, it looked kind of like thin and it reminded me of certain like self-taught artists like Henry Darger or something. Mm -hmm. But I was using a lot of black tempera too, Ah. which was 
kind of cool just because it made such a rich black yeah. but then looking back i'm like every painting has a super thin watercolor and then deep black <laughs> which is kind of funny <laughs> but yeah but i just yeah. i think i just kept following those like experiments into just really loving watercolor also like just mm-hmm. really love not being so messy because i was an oil painter in undergrad oh yeah so yeah. just like it's really nice to have a studio that's a little cleaner that doesn't have oil paint smeared on things that stays wet for a week um <laughs> ends up on right and kind of like reducing the toxicity, I think. I just I had like a pretty good professor mm-hmm. in undergrad, which it seems like maybe some students don't really get. That was just like, so today we're just talking about all the toxicity and negative health effects of all of these chemicals or, you know, heavy metals and things that are in paint typically. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe just sunk in more, but trying to like get the cadmium and things like that led out of my studio. And yeah, there's just yeah. something nice about coming to it and it feeling more, I don't know, like neat and clean in a certain sense. <laughs> Obviously mm-hmm. this is like all not, doesn't have anything to do with what it looks like, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but it matters. It's like a big part of the, the process. Yeah. And a big yeah. part of daily life as an artist. Yeah. And is um, your studio now, do you have a studio at home or is it out like a separate space? It's a separate space. I yeah. feel pretty fortunate to be able to like, maintain that like mm-hmm. in New York and then moving here. It was like a priority right away, despite how usually it's kind of like put me at the edge of my monthly budget. Yeah. Like, if I didn't have it, I feel like there'd be a little cushion. Oh. But uh, yeah, it's really nice. It's nice to just, I mean, is. It was so like great too to like leave New York and spend the same amount of money, which in New York I was sharing the space with someone. There was no natural light, and it was like not a very big footprint. I mean, um, right? Yeah, like space. And here it's like in an old stone church, and there's like three windows, and uh, I have it to myself and a door I can close. (laughs) Beautiful. My music or podcasts or whatever. Uh, yeah so that's that, great i feel like that's gonna impact my decision to stay too i'm just like yeah this is so good compared to yeah you know, just i can't give this up <laughs> right and do you still have access to the studio now are you still able to go there or are you kind of working from home i just out of precautions just like mm-hmm. in case the studio would close i started bringing home like skeleton crew of materials um <laughs> yeah. and uh but I've gone, I've been there a handful of times. So I've kind of been working both places. Um, obviously, yeah. it's really, it's kind of, a, you know, a, a little bit more of a struggle to make it work at home in mm-hmm. space here. And I feel like my, the room I'm working in is like kind of a mess. But <laughs> yeah, doing a little bit of both. Yeah. The, the nice thing about my studio is there are very few people in the building. It's I think it's like a dozen or so people. Mm-hmm. So it feels like a fairly safe place to go. I just like go in right. and kind of like wash my hands first thing and then don't touch anything the walk down the hall. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, it's been really nice to still have that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, juggling the space working and then also having now like a teacher space at home how has that shifted as well right yeah it's like (laughs) 
for everybody, all these spaces have become so multi-use, right? Uh-huh. I do work work in my kitchen now. Yeah. <laughs> I started in like our, our little like guest bed slash office slash yoga space. Yeah. <laughs> and but our internet's so bad and I haven't done anything to try to fix it. So oh. <laughs> there's like it was like breaking out during Zoom calls and things like that. Oh. So I kind of started sitting in the kitchen, which is like always the room I've loved the most in like any house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like ours is a pretty nice little space for a small apartment. So oh. I've just been posting up here, just definitely makes it an awkward like multi use space when you leave some dishes from the night before and then you're like oh (laughs) that's like right in my work area now (laughs) oh yeah you were talking earlier about kind of getting to see the students in their home space as they're sharing what they're doing and you know including siblings and like pictures of them at home. And I've been thinking also about how interesting and maybe strange it must be for them to kind of see us in our home spaces as we're, you know, (laughs) shooting videos from our kitchen or our living room (laughs) and sending it to them. Right. And I I do think there's this kind of, there's a sweet aspect to to it Mm -hmm. though. It's like, just like we're all in the same place. We're all trying to make it work. And Mm -hmm. it's like not having pretense or not having a wall up you're just like yeah all right we're gonna do some stop motion animation from the kitchen table (laughs) (laughs) right yeah like this is this is what it is we're all in it there's like some some intimacy there yeah yeah it's kind of like one of the sort of sweet aspects of this all i guess Mm -hmm. yeah silver linings yeah kind of getting back to your artwork have you been like you've been producing a lot have you been showing your work or selling your work and kind of what would what would your advice be around those things how do you seek <laughs> seek those opportunities I feel like I'm not sure if I have much advice on that because I feel like I'm <laughs> still figuring it all out yeah I haven't really shown that much in like the last couple of years mm-hmm. and on some levels I think that could be like a little disappointing and then I guess kind of like on the other side of that coin though is I feel like my work my workflow or like my uh I hate to say productivity it's so Mm. capitalist but uh yeah like kind of like my workflow has continued or maybe even like increased in I feel like what I'm making is a lot is like getting more and more interesting to me Mm -hmm. and I think maturing. So it's like at the same time, it sort of doesn't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of just, I don't know. I've always felt like really natural in that kind of thing. Just like going to the studio, working on my work. And it's kind of like an, it's a little bit of like a internal world, like a personal world. Mm -hmm. And here's my studio with 15 paintings hanging on the wall that I'm like surrounded by. But then it's like, you leave it and it's just kind of like back there, almost like uh, this like fantasy space Uh (laughs) or something, you know, it's like this little secret world. Uh, So I guess at the end of the day, it's very nurturing for me. Yeah. Therapeutic. But yeah, I would, uh, I would really like to show my work in Philly and beyond. And so maybe like do what I can to kind of put focus into that after COVID blows over a little bit. Yeah, I've been selling stuff like here and there, mm-hmm. which feels nice. Also, like always seems hard to part with anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that same way? I feel like some artists are just like done out in the world, no problem. But I don't know. I feel so attached to everything. 
Yeah, I've been trying. I mean, I'm kind of similar that I haven't shown or sold a lot. I'm trying to ramp that up now. Yeah. But I've also been trying to not be super attached. There's certain things that I that I'm more attached to, of course. That's probably like every artist. Mm-hmm. I recently totally unexpectedly sold this little little piece that I'd done that was like a portrait of my daughter to a complete stranger and in my head I mean it doesn't look super like it's not it's clay so it's you can't tell exactly who the person is it's just like a generic kid yeah but I in my head I was like who wants a portrait of like my kid (laughs) like why is (laughs) why are they buying this (laughs) yeah yeah I hear you I like the I like the work you've been making lately oh thank you but yeah Yeah. also sometimes I feel I felt that way like or like a different side of that just being like I'm making all these like sometimes awkward paintings or like figures with like awkward expressions on my face (laughs) and like they're all people that are like my dad and and like these people I know like who would want to buy this (laughs) I I love though that that recent one you posted of your dad like facetiming it's just so you know this is this is what we live in right now yeah yeah that was great oh thanks (laughs) and the expressions oh yeah oh yeah i was gonna say too that you know um i've really just like been enjoying like it's it's funny to say it but i've really been enjoying like instagram Mm -hmm. mostly in that there have been like a lot of times where i felt like fairly disconnected from like what people are making right now and i feel like instagram this is like an ad for instagram uh i feel like instagram has like really opened that up actually for me and i've been discovering a lot of artists that way and it's like super easy to just stay up to date of like what is at different galleries and what galleries you like more Mm -hmm. and what interesting work is being made I've just like really actually been like enjoying that a lot yeah I mean I feel like it's it's a double-edged sword like I've been enjoying it too but then it's also such a time suck just looking at everything (laughs) yeah and i mean you know obviously there's this whole other kind of level of who has all these followers and all these likes but i try to like Uh, put that aside a little bit yeah wow look at the look at this painter in whatever the bay area whoa so cool yeah i try to not look at the likes and followers and all that and i'm i mean i still feel like a little bit like technically technologically challenged with that stuff like figuring out what how does this work oh like I was on a live Instagram thing yesterday and was like I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) yeah for sure yeah it's like sometimes you don't even know the words to describe it it's like Instagram live no it is live on Instagram wait (laughs) yeah (laughs) like I don't know something that was live I did like a one year uh, certification program last year, teacher certification. Mm. And oh, cool. they have you record, they have you getting used to it right away and recording yourself teaching. And it was so hard to watch those videos at first. And I was like, oh, why don't oh. make that weird facial expression? Like, oh, geez, why am I waving my hands around <laughs> so much? It's like so hard to watch or listen uh, to yourself. <laughs> yeah. 
did you feel like then did you adjust how those things or did you just get more used to seeing them? <laughs> I think I definitely adjusted it. I don't know how much was was coming out of self-consciousness versus like trying to yeah. be a better teacher. But it did get easier. <laughs> I mean they had a, they said that from the start and you know, once you do it enough, I think it it's a little easier to do. And now like making YouTube videos for my students, I think it's kind of similar. It's like at first it's pretty hard to watch it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it gets easy. Yeah. And how was that one year certification program? Uh was it really intense to be that quick or it was fairly manageable. I would like give a decent mm-hmm. amount of credit to the program and the faculty and just like that you can structure such a thing that uh, like full-time teachers can do this work and be certified in a year mm-hmm. and to like cover the material. Yeah, that's great. To cover the material in that short of a time is pretty hard. And I think as all things considered, they, they did a pretty good job. But at the time, it, it felt like I had no time. It felt like I didn't have any extra yeah. time to, like, it just felt like it was tight for the studio, yeah. like free time. It was just a little hard, but you know, one year, right? you can, you can do a lot of things for a year. Yeah. And thinking more back to your practice, have you struggled at all ever with like creative blocks and that's a question that I feel like a lot of people ask sort of how do you overcome creative block yeah I think that's always a great question just always Mm -hmm. something that everyone kind of deals with in some way or at some time yeah when I was younger or I think really when I was like a student and you're expected to produce like on a schedule (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. that can be a pressure that's really difficult. And like on the flip side, I think some people, it's hard to maintain a schedule and maintain consistency when they're out of that structure. Yeah. But I think when I would encounter that in that kind of context where you have to create on a schedule... A lot of times I would go back to books, I think. And a lot of times I would I would look at, I would go back mm. to my influences and look at their work. I would read things that I was interested in, even like things that seem, you know, fairly unrelated, like Eastern religion, mm-hmm. whatever, just like pursue my interests through reading. And a lot of times it would bring me back to something and keep it going. Yeah. Now I feel like my work has habits are different. I guess I feel fortunate to not really feel that way too much in the last few years. You know, just like my way of working of like taking photos a lot day to day. There are like these times in the studio then where I'm just like looking through these photos and trying to like kind of like curate and think about what I should actually turn into a painting. And so I think it's just sort of the ebb and flow of like creativity. I think that now being in like my mid thirties, I can look back and see, oh, it's just like this ebb and flow. It's just these waves. Mm -hmm. And there are times when you're like, I feel lost. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't think my work is good. (laughs) But at least Uh, for me, I feel like I always come back to the other part of the wave where I'm like, just really enjoying what I'm making. I feel like it's worthwhile and interesting. And I feel like a pretty steady flow of inspiration, for lack of a better word. Yeah, Uh, I'm here like nodding Mm -hmm. vigorously. I'm like that. I have such a similar 
process and experience where even, you know, I work a lot from photos too now and that process of like curating, deciding what what do I want to to create? There's like an abundance of options, Mm. which helps prevent block. Right, right, right. Yeah. But I love that idea too of, of thinking about it as these waves and that, you know, that does come with experience that, you know, even if today you're feeling like, oh, my work's not that good. I don't know what I'm doing. It might be tomorrow, might be next week or next month. It'll come yeah. back and you'll feel like this is all I'm, I'm doing some cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and like, how do you build up faith in that? I mean, especially mm-hmm. when you're younger. I mean, I think like I've had a few crisis periods and one of them was in grad school where I was like, I don't know if I want to be doing this. I don't know if this is how mm-hmm. I feel that I'm contributing to society or what have you like uh. in grad school. And that was, uh, that was like a really hard place that and time to like have that feeling. But I mean, mm-hmm. I know it's definitely case by case, but I do feel like I have more of that faith now that that's the way it goes and I think just like on a little bit more of a a like spiritual level I think that's how a lot of things go you can't always you're not always going to feel happy you're not always going to feel sad you're gonna like Mm -hmm. ride the waves of emotions and harder weeks and times where you feel like really great and times where your artwork feels really great yeah yeah but I think especially maybe when you're a younger artist it's a little bit more extreme Mm -hmm. either like I'm an artist or or I'm like a failure I'm not gonna do it I can't do it and it's think if you can have the courage to continue then it just always is changing and there's a lot to look forward to Uh, I love that and kind of needing to have that courage to just keep going and like you've kind of dedicated yourself to like I'm gonna have a studio space even if it's stretching a little bit the budget and the time it's still it's worth it it's something that you need to do yeah right yeah and I also I wanted to circle back to the idea you talked about a while ago in teaching of representation and I just I love that that's a focus in your developing your curricula and developing which artists you show to students. I just feel like it's so important for students to see see themselves. The organization I work for has a yearly theme that they kind of use as a, a guide in developing okay. curricula. And it's always a very loose theme. But this year, it's okay. windows and mirrors. Whoa. And there's been a few articles written about this idea in literature in teaching that you want uh-huh. when you're showing students a book or whatever you want, you want it to include both windows for them. So looking out of themselves, seeing a new culture that they maybe don't know or seeing identifying with someone that's not like them. But then you also want it to include mirrors like reflecting themselves back and seeing themselves in the characters or in the artists that we share yeah and that just how impactful that is for them yeah for sure oh that that's cool I don't know if I've heard it put that way or coupled that way but that's really nice yeah I really like that I think maybe it's just as visual people like I really responded to that as well that idea of windows and mirrors yeah 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then where where does an artwork become almost both? Can that happen? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So maybe all that's just to say, like, commend you on on striving towards that, <laughs> and encourage <laughs> encourage other art teachers to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I always kind of wonder how much because I, I mean I just I know it was a different time and I was definitely you know I was in the growing up in Iowa and Wisconsin and so like pretty white bread in a lot of ways (laughs) um but I just wonder how much that has changed across the board Mm -hmm. in education and I just I just still wonder if things are like progressing that much but yeah Yeah. the windows and mirrors makes me think I mean I think about Kahinde Wiley a lot Mm -hmm. and I think I show him maybe getting to be too much he's (laughs) he's so great and it's just like mm-hmm. that's kind of what he does, right? Like he takes the like he says like he loves Titian and like all these old yeah. like Italian painters and whatever. And then and you look at the work and you're like you're kind of like it's so stuffy. It's like these people in the court, you know, with their dogs, and it's just like what <laughs> and like what what drew you to it? But oh. to see him then just kind of like mm-hmm. take so much of what he loves. But also, you know, flip the script and bring in this whole other element of, you know, the black man or woman today. It's like, you know, he's like still paying such a a tribute to what he Mm -hmm. liked while at the same time, like remaking history. And, you know, there's these cool elements of patterning that to me a lot of times look like Islamic patterning or you know just these elements coming in that's like something I think hopefully I think for a lot of people like reflects them back and then also is entirely something new yeah it's amazing and I his craft is so incredible and I feel like that's what he loves about the old masters is just the level of craft. Right. Yeah. And when I've showed his work to students, they're always like a little intimidated and just super impressed. Like, right. that's not a photo? What? How did he do that? Right. But yeah, and I loved there was some quote from him that was talking about how he when he was a kid he like went to art museums and didn't see himself yeah. and that that was kind of an instigator a catalyst for him wanting to put people like him into museums right yeah this was one of the last things before school was put on hold we were, I was doing mm-hmm. A lesson based on him a self-portraiture project and uh, yeah use that idea and kind of you know ask students what they thought about that kind of his idea of doing that mm-hmm. yeah really interesting yeah I love his work and I last year I paired like I showed him and Amy Sherald you know, these are the two artists that did the most recent presidential portraits mm-hmm. and students. Yeah. Really responded to that. Yeah. And just how, like how different that there's like similarities between the two, but how different they also are in the way they work and right, right. sort of what their focus is. Yeah. Right. And how the figures presented. For sure. mm-hmm. Yeah. Like how she deals with color is so interesting. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's like so great actually to live in this time where you, it's starting to be where you don't have to dig so deep to find these artists of color who are really appreciated and at the top of their game and, you know, being highlighted by like presidential portraits. Uh, yeah. And, and 
I mean, I feel like there's still a long way to go, but also seeing all of the sort of support out there right now for women, for female artists. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like five to 10 years from now, it feels like things will be noticeably different based on like that support that's going on now, like you're saying, and, and for artists of color too. I hope so. It's cool to have that freedom in what you teach. I know I have a lot of flexibility as well. And mm-hmm. I kind of come in, I only see each grade level for 10 weeks. So I have a short little time with them. And the rest of the year, they're with their classroom teacher for art. Okay. So I feel like I don't really teach any of the old masters at all. <laughs> I just focus completely on contemporary artists because I figure when the classroom teachers are kind of scrambling to figure out what to do for art, they're going to come across the 5 million lessons about Van Gogh. (laughs) So I don't need to do that. (laughs) Right, right. And yeah, I mean, do you feel, is it it just me or do you feel like that like when you were in elementary or even middle school did were you exposed to many contemporary artists Mm -mm, no not at all yeah because i feel like i I never heard of an artist more recent than like you know i don't know like the 1920s or something (laughs) right i'm trying to think i remember being a little bit obsessed with georgia o'keefe in high school but i think for me it was one of the only women i had seen and one of the only people who was living in a time even remotely similar to ours (laughs) right yeah georgia that's probably that was probably my similar experience yeah yeah it's it's interesting i i'd love to talk to my students in like 10 years (laughs) see what their experience (laughs) is yeah that'd be awesome yeah, I feel like I'm really relying a lot on contemporary artists a lot more than I am on like the traditional canon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you find support for that from the school and from parents? Are they kind of behind that or are they are they asking like, why doesn't he know who, you know, this artist is or whatever? No, I feel like I have a lot of support for that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Also, I just... <laughs> I don't know. I just when you when you look closely at like the Common Core standards, or definitely mm-hmm. I feel like more so with the PA standards for some reason, it's just some of it seems like near impossible in terms of having like fourth fifth <laughs> graders have a sense of historical art movements. But then you're also, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been kind of indoctrinated a little bit with really being critical of art movements and the story that's told of Western art and its supremacy. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, I'm like, "Mm, I think I would like to, I'd be much more interested in changing that story than teaching it the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, And I feel like that's going to have more impact for your students as well. Starting to wrap up, do you have any tips that you would want to share, you know, in terms of art making or teaching any of that? Well, when I was thinking about this interview, one thing I was thinking about is just looking back on my five-ish years now uh, as an elementary teacher and Mm -hmm. a little bit with college level teaching that I've done. It takes so much time to know what you're doing. (laughs) And just like to try to go easy on yourself and give yourself some room to make mistakes because it's just every day teaching I make mistakes. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like the majority of it feels kind of like there's room for improvement, which I guess is always good. You don't want to be like, oh, there's no room for improvement. <laughs> but it's such a process to grow that teaching practice. Mm-hmm. And the first semester, first year felt so hard. And then like not to mention trying to mm-hmm. juggle a whole other endeavor of yours of like being an artist as well. It's so mm-hmm hard to both and I think you always feel like you're not devoting enough to either one besides the rest of your life yeah yeah (laughs) I think over time it gets easier to balance and I think Mm -hmm. thinking about the interaction between a studio practice and a teaching practice I just think they do inform each other and they kind of enrich each other and besides enriching your own life so I do think it's like very worthwhile (laughs) despite the challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And how has how how is that balance for you? Like what does a week look like when you're fitting it all in? I'm working like compared to like two or three years ago, I feel like I put in a little less time on work, uh like planning and, and mm-hmm. these times like outside of being actually in the classroom. So I feel like that's been nice to realize and like oh free up a little bit more time. Plus with doing this program program education program last year I just like I'm still in like the after effects or the afterglow feeling like I have more free time but I I feel like yeah <laughs> I have a, a a lot of a strong impulse to like be in the studio a lot but it's just obviously for many reasons kind of hard some days so I just kind of like say mm-hmm. okay I'm at least gonna be there Tuesday night right. or whatever and then try to like go in on like Sunday for a while too but it's never gonna feel like enough so I'm gonna set aside this day and even if I get out of work late even if I'm tired I'm just gonna go and kind of like uh just like have it scheduled in I guess a little bit yeah and kind of commit to it yeah I mean unfortunately I think with a teacher I think most teachers work a lot of hours so also yeah you know I think that balances challenge I think it's you know maybe easier with a job where you clock out at five o'clock or whatever it is whatever your regular hours are and you leave it at work in a sense yeah but teaching's a teaching's a good gift yeah and we were talking a little bit at the beginning about how how everything has shifted right now with teaching online and just how much time that takes do you feel like that has shifted the like the time you're able to commit to the studio yeah i just feel like it's been such a a lesson in going with the flow because I think like the first during the first week we were home uh, I remember Friday of that week being like "Mm, I really can't think of anything I have to do and like at at two or something I went out and like went on a walk in a park and yeah I remember another day where I like went to the studio like went to the studio for the morning and then you know came home and did some work in the afternoon and now I feel like that hasn't happened since then like I'm now I'm like in more of a rhythm that is more like regular work and it's now the last Mm -hmm. week it's felt like hard to get to the studio again Yeah. So I just think it's changed so much just in these like five weeks. Yeah, it's kind of shifting day by day, it feels like. Right, right. And just some sort of fun, like wrapping up questions. Is there anything that you're curious about right now? There's always a lot I am curious about. I'm going to get that from my parents (laughs) and 
my mom especially mm-hmm. there's never enough time right yeah <laughs> but yeah some of like the side things that I've been curious about are I kind of like started getting back into beer brewing Ooh. having not done it for a while and so I'm interested in like learning about the history of beer brewing uh so I already ordered some books about that too but I've got a batch of beer right now fermenting nice. <laughs> and you know I as far as artistically I'm pretty interested right now in the split studio <laughs> you know adapting and making it what you can but now bringing paper materials home I've started to like work much smaller and so what are the images Mm -hmm. that work better at a small scale because I'm kind of forced to and I don't know it's kind of like opened up Mm -hmm. this other uh the avenue a little bit because um so much of what I'm doing in my studio feels so appropriate for what's pretty large for watercolor and they're kind of like big expanses a lot of times and like a lot of little things going on inside the frame so Mm -hmm. it's interesting to shift to like what belongs in a small on a small scale right yeah that's definitely a tricky adjustment and another fun one. What's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? You know, I think this is colored by not being able to go to a lot of places, maybe. But I really miss the Indian buffet. Mm. Oh, so good. Oh, I know. I feel like this is almost a cruel right. question right now. It's like, what do you love that you right. can't have? Yeah. And just like getting tacos oh. and sitting outside at the place that's like two blocks away. Mm. And there's a little parklet that's built into the street there. It's like, oh, especially as the weather's getting nicer. It's just like uh, that, that would, that would be it. Oh, and then is there anyone you'd want to give a shout out to or thank? Well, I would kind of, I would kind of like to shout out like the artists that I'm looking at a lot on Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like they've really, they're, they're really inspiring. And it's, it's like seeing what they're doing day to day, kind of like, it's like a good motivation too. it like enlivens me a little bit. So mm-hmm. I just think it's like really nice to have that. But I don't know how to say her last name, but Hillary Peckis. P-E-C-I-S. She's like, she's either in LA or Northern California, but, or like the Bay Area, but she does these like beautiful oil paintings that are like kind of flat, kind of photographic, but a lot of landscapes and interior views of her house with looks and patterns and all this stuff. They're just really lovely. Mm. Uh, Jordan Castile, who's getting a lot of attention. She's a black artist. Uh I think she had a studio museum in Harlem. Yeah. Residency. Yeah. Who was it? I I was looking at her work recently too. I'm trying to remember but just like where, <laughs> but yeah. And I can, I'll like link to all of these cool, people. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Like a lot of sort of like intimate figurative kind of work and like people were just like on the street and like mm-hmm. people hanging out. They're just like really lovely. And then mm-hmm. I've been loving this Brooklyn based artist again. Like I'm not sure how to say her first name. Uh, Jordan, Jordan, Sally is her last name. But she shows with uh, Stephen Harvey projects downtown New York. And they're just these, again, like pretty intimate, kind of awkward in like a really beautiful way. Paintings of people out in nature, in the woods and in like water and like Mm -hmm. reflections and they're just pretty exquisite. Oh, awesome. Louis Fratino, who's also like gotten a lot of attention mm-hmm. the last couple of years in New York. Uh, he's like a gay artist and a lot of just like part of this, what seems to be a little bit of a movement of like really representing people who are queer, like at home and like nudes and like intimate with their partners and just like these beautiful in a mm-hmm. really quiet way, like kind of radical. 
and his are like full of pattern and this awkwardness that's really lovely okay i'll leave it there (laughs) awesome i love it and then where can listeners connect with you online um right now uh it's basically through instagram so it's at boswall b-o-s-w-a-h-l cool well thank you so much aaron for taking the time and sharing thank you this was really nice yeah yeah i loved our conversation me too i love the idea aaron brought up of looking with awe at the world capturing the childlike vision of our students in our own practice. It was also encouraging to hear how he continues to make art and keep a studio through the challenges of time, budgeting, and self-doubt, realizing that there's a natural ebb and flow to creativity, just as there is to most things in life, is so helpful. I'll try to remember his words about keeping faith in the process and having the courage to continue making next time I'm in that ebb stage. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.